Hello, everyone. Welcome to Industry Focus Financials Edition. This is Gabby Lapero with John Maxfield on the phone. This week, we're going to be talking about financial literacy, and we hope that you are literate, too. Um, you probably are, because you found this podcast on iTunes. Either that, or you're just randomly clicking around the internet. Um, so, let's get started with this week. This week, we're going to start with um, 13Fs, which were due maybe like a week or so ago. Uh, 13Fs are an SEC filing with a super long official name. They're formally known as Information Required of Institutional Investment Managers Form. So these things come out every quarter, and they're required of any institutional investor um, that with over $100 million in qualifying assets, and they have to be filed within 45 days of the end of the quarter. So all of them should be in for the third quarter by now. Um, these things are really super cool because they provide information on what these like giant investors have holdings in. Um, of course, they only work if the form of the, if the firms are reporting honestly, which was a huge problem with Bernie Madoff. Yeah, there are a lot of problems. With Bernie Madoff, weren't there? <laughs> there were a lot, but this is one yeah. of them. Thirteen <laughs> S are certainly a huge one. <laughs> And so just to add a little bit more substance to the 13S, let's say you're sitting there as an investor and that you love, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, again, what do you think, Warren Buffett, maybe? Sure. Um, Oak Tree Capital. Let's do Oak, Oak Tree, Tree Capital. Oak Tree Capital. A great one. How, run by a guy named Howard Marks. Brilliant, brilliant investment manager. Distressed that guy. Uh, not as big into equities, but a, but a great choice. In fact, Howard Marks is one of the most brilliant. He's got this this great, great book titled The Most Important Thing that I honestly believe every investor should read. It's second only probably to, in my opinion, um, to The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. But that is a total, that is a total aside. I had no idea you were such a huge fan, Maxfield. Yeah, <laughs> Howard Marks is he's awesome. And what I love about his book, I, I know we're totally going on a tangent here, but this is actually a, a, a valuable enough book that investors should should probably take a look at it. It's called The Most Important Thing, and it goes through basically, I don't know, it's like 20 different things that he calls the most important thing. Um, and what he realizes is that there's just a number of very equally important things uh, that investors need to keep their eye, on, their eye on. But to get back to 13F, so a 13F is, like Gavi said, if you're an investor, and let's say you love Warren Buffett or Howard Marks or somebody like that, and you want to figure out you know, what they're buying, what they own, things like that, you go to the 13F because that is where every quarter at within 45 days at the after the end of a calendar quarter big institutional money managers must file with the SEC a form that basically says what stocks they own and how much of them they own yeah and they're really exciting because like Maxfield said um, if you're a really big fan of these of these guys you can kind of see what their portfolios look like so um, I have Oak Tree Capitals pulled up right here, um, and it looks like, for example, their top buys this time was Jazz Pharmaceuticals. Um, top sells were Allergan. Um, those are both biotechs. I know that we're a financial show, but sometimes we talk about other sectors too. Uh, and it, it also has a breakdown of what their sector allocation is. So most of their um, most of their stocks are in information technology. It's pretty interesting stuff. You can find this online at WhaleWisdom.com. Um, just go well wisdom, search for whatever company you're looking for that has institutional investments. So that's banks, insurance companies, um, obviously these capital management firms. It's it's pretty so, helpful tool for investors. Yeah, it's a it's a I find it's a totally helpful tool for investors, but you have to keep it in context, right? Because one of the things you have to keep in mind about 13Fs is that they aren't filed until the end of the quarter, until 45 days after the end of the calendar quarter, right? So a lot of these investment decisions will have already been, you know, 
a few they will be um, stale by a few months by then, which by that by that time the valuations of the prices of those investments could change. And the other thing to keep in mind with 13Fs, just as a caveat, is that there are procedures that a big institutional money manager can go through to then not actually report specific holdings in a particular quarter. And let me give you an example. So back in 2011, Warren Buffett, I think it was 2011, Warren Buffett uh, went against his long-held belief that he should avoid technology stocks, and he invested in IBM. Well, as he was building that position, you know, if it was straddling two different quarters, he's not going to want to come out in the middle of that as he's building that position and say, look, I'm buying all this, you know, billions of dollars worth of IBM. I think he owns something like 8.3% right now, right? Because that would cause the price to skyrocket immediately. So what he does is he applies with the SEC, or Berkshire Hathaway does this, and he says, look, let me report this, but let me delay reporting this another quarter so I can build my position first and then let people know. So it's just a good thing to keep in mind for investors um, that sometimes the data is either stale slightly or it could not be telling you everything that you think it should be telling you. Absolutely. And this goes back to the Motley Fool's general investing philosophy, which is that you need to do your research before you buy. Right? You can't just depend on other people just to, to tell you things. Right? You really need to make up your own mind. Um, exactly. Speaking of, of um, buying things and not really knowing what you're doing, <laughs> there's this guy uh, I read an article about him. His name is Joe Campbell, and he shorted, uh, I think it's called Calo Bios. It could be Calo. I'm not sure, because he thought the stock was going to drop. Actually, Maxwell, do you want to explain what a short is? So, yeah, a short is, I mean, typically when, when the typical investor buys a stock, you just buy a stock, and then you just, and that's called going long, because you're buying it and hoping in the long term the price will go up. Shorting it is the exact opposite. You, it's kind of a complicated thing how it works, but you borrow the stock. So you borrow the stock from somebody else, from your broker. You then sell it immediately. And then that way you then later on buy that stock back, hoping that its price has fall, fallen. So what you're doing is you're, you're, you're buying low and selling high, but kind of in the reverse order. And that's called going short. Right. You're, you're basically betting against the stock. Right. Yeah. So anyway, this stock, instead of dropping, it actually popped because this guy named Martin Shkreli, which you guys probably remember from uh, that whole Turing pharmaceutical debacle over um, Daraprim, which is a drug that's used to treat uh, malaria and toxoplasmosis in people with compromised immune systems. Anyway, he raised the price like a bajillion dollars and it was like $15 before and he raised it to like $5,000. I have no idea. It was a lot. I, do you guys remember this? It was like a, I'm sorry, do you remember yeah, this? Month? I do. I totally <laughs> so, do. I the totally one person do. I'm actually talking to. Anyway, so he um, bought a heap ton of Calobio stocks. It was on its way out because they basically announced that they had no more money to develop their cancer drugs. And Shkreli was like, well, I'll buy you. Um, and this guy, Joe Campbell, had shorted like everything he had in his investment fund. He'd shorted Calobios, which is $37,000. Um. So, something about shorts, which I think a lot of people don't realize, is that while with it, with when you buy a stock and you go long, you can only lose the amount that you initially invested. But when you short a stock, there's an unlimited amount that you can lose. So even though he shorted the stock with only thirty seven thousand dollars, he lost one hundred and six thousand dollars, <laughs> I believe. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> shorting shorting is a is a dangerous exercise. Well, especially uh, in biotech, it's such a volatile sector, um, and it's clear. Like this guy says, like I was fine, and then I went to a meeting, and I got back, and it was down. And <laughs> I mean, so it's clear. Like he wasn't sitting. He doesn't have a job where he's sitting around like monitoring what's going on in the biotech field. Like he's uh, he's just a recreational 
day trader, essentially. <laughs> a recreational shorter. And like other people who do things recreationally, and I'm not passing judgment one way or the other on anything, uh, you have to do so very carefully. <laughs> right. Well, especially in when when the so much money is at stake, right? And I mean, he, right. he thought that, I mean, there was no way for him to know that Shkreli was going to do this. But um, I think the thing that, that really gets me, though, is that he started to GoFundMe to cover the funds that he lost, to cover the $106,445.56 that he lost. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. I, I need it. We need to start something like that, Gabby. Uh-huh. I haven't lost that much money yet. I probably will at some point in my life. But uh but I'd still like to start a GoFund account. But yeah. let me just, just to kind of tie this into our 13F discussion. So here you have an investor. He's made this horrible decision, right? Now let's say that this was like a, a bigger investor, like a, a David Einhorn or, a, or a, a Carl Icahn or something like that. And you wanted to, you, you looked at this decision to short a stock and then you decided you'd follow, you'd follow in. But you have to keep in mind that even for people, let's say this, this, this gentleman who made this mistake was a true expert in what he was doing. Even true experts make, make mistakes. Oh, yeah, all right? the time. All and the so, time. So it's just, I think it's just a good thing to keep in mind. So, and let me give it to, to kind of like a similar story to this that also ties into that 13F that, that you have to keep in mind is that sometimes when people buy stocks, they have different motivations for doing so, buy or sell stocks, so you're talking shorting then maybe immediately apparent, right? So like, let's say you have a, a company that is tanking, right? And you want to short it, right? Or you want to buy the shares because you think that they're a value and you see one of your favorite investment managers, right? But accumulating a large stake in that position. Well, they may be accumulating a large stake in that position for a totally different reason. That is actually diametrically opposed to what you're trying to do. Let, let's say that they're buying up convertible debt, that they're buying up stock and things like that to position themselves to have a large say in a bankruptcy proceeding or to control the company after the bankruptcy proceeding. We saw a lot of this happen during the financial crisis where you had big institutional managers move into stocks that had plummeted. And then you had little retail investors looking saying, oh, we should move into that too. Not realizing that like, oh, well, the reason they're moving into these is to prepare for after the bankruptcy, which the bankruptcy is really what, what then caught the you know, kind of the followers of those strategies. Yeah. Um- I think that, so this guy, there's a quote from him. It says, I keep it small because I wanted to manage risk. The most I can afford to lose is what I have in the account is $37,000. Which, I mean, if he knew that that's all he wanted to lose, then, you know, shorting is maybe not the way to go for you. Vegas would be a better way. Exactly. Um, Which kind of leads me actually into my next topic, which is a (laughs) survey that was conducted by Standard & Poor's slash Gallup slash the World Bank. So this is a lot of big names. You can probably trust this study. Um, on financial Slash literacy. The onion. <laughs> Slash the onion. No. Um, so it's it's actually about financial literacy. Um, and the survey asked five questions, which I am actually going to ask to you, John Maxfield. And we'll oh, see no, how you do. no, you're not. <laughs> oh, no. Okay. All, All right. right. Is this the real deal? So you're going to ask me these questions? And I'm, just for listeners, I have not prepared the answer to these questions. <laughs> no, this is a shock to him. Um, get excited. So are you ready? Yeah, I hope I don't. I hope I don't fall into that other category. Okay. <laughs> uh, suppose over the next ten years, the prices of the things you buy double. If your income also doubles, will you be able to buy less than you can buy today, the same as you can buy today, or more than you can buy today? So your income increases by the same percentage that price increases. Right, and we're not talking about savings or anything. Just literally your income. And just your income. I would say that you can buy the same. Exactly. Good job. Okay. Oh my God, I'm like, I'm very <laughs> nervous. I want you to know that. Good. 
Um, <laughs> suppose you need to borrow $100. Which is the lower amount to pay back? $105 or $100 plus 3% interest? 100 plus 3% interest. Correct. Excellent. Two for two. You are two for two. Get excited. All right. Great. We're almost there. Uh, compound interest. Um, suppose you put money in the bank for two years and the bank agrees to add 15% per year to your account. Will the bank add more money to your account the second year than it did the first year, or will it add the same amount of money both years? It will add more, and I want that bank account. Yes, I know. Who doesn't <laughs> want 15% interest? I get like one basis point on my <laughs> I know, on my too. Um, Okay, last question. I guess there are... Okay. Oh, no, there's one more question after this. I'm sorry. So suppose you had $100 in a savings account and the bank adds 10% per year to the account. How much money would you have in the account after five years if you did not remove any money from the account? Um, and I'm going to give this to you in yeah. a diff- with with multiple choice answers because I don't want you to have to do math right now. Okay, so, so let me just make sure. I So $100 and mm-hmm. they're giving you 10% every year. Right. And how much would you have after five years? Can you do the math in your head? Uh, okay, go for it. Give me some. Give me some multiple choice options, and right. I, I have a rough idea about what it is. But go less on. than one hundred and fifty dollars, exactly one hundred and fifty dollars, or more than one hundred and fifty dollars. You'd have more than one hundred fifty. Okay, thank Correct. you for <laughs> no problem. <laughs> yeah, when I did this the first time, I like sat down and did all the math, and I got the correct answer. And then it was multiple choice like that, and I was like, oh, this this is. Uh, I can't say on the air. Um, Anyway, so risk diversification. Suppose you have some money. Is it safer to put your money into one business or investment or to put your money into multiple businesses or investments? It's it's definitely more, more, it's definitely safer to to put your money into multiple investments. Correct. Congratulations. You are super financially literate. (laughs) Wow. Wow. That was it. That was, Uh, that was the difficulty level of the questions we're talking about for, for this uh, survey. Okay, and so you're telling me that. Uh, so can you t- talk about the results? So, so yeah. most people did not pass that. Is that what you said? Um, so most people did. Fifty-seven percent, to be exact, did. So that is not really okay. the vast majority. <laughs> um, and we are ranked actually 14th in the world for financial literacy. So we we didn't do all that great, if you think about yeah. it. You know, here's the interesting thing about financial literacy in the United States specifically. Like when we talk about financial literacy, it is a really important thing to know, right? I mean, I think that that's what we do for a living, right? We kind of we try to educate people about financial literacy. So obviously, we are biased. That that is really important. That's a thing. good thing you passed that test. <laughs> yeah, it really is a good thing that I passed that. If it was a diff- more difficult test, I'm afraid I probably wouldn't have. But what's important to keep in mind is that um, the biggest piece of financial literacy is really about just saving money, right, for retirement. Right, and this is particularly as pensions have gone out, and then we are, as individuals, largely responsible for our own retirement. So it's saving and then figuring out what to do with your money. And what's interesting is that when you look at the United States economy, what is it? I think that the stat is something like seventy percent of our economy, our GDP, is a function of consumer purchases, right? And then our savings rate is some abysmal level of something like four percent or two percent, which is much much lower than most other developed countries. Well, one of the reasons that our GDP is so healthy, historically, is because our consumers have spent more money, more of their income, than in a lot of other places. I mean, there's other reasons that our GDP is awesome, too. We have great natural resources and a variety of other things. But on a country level, you don't want your people necessarily saving so much. But on the individual level, it is absolutely critical that you not only save, but that you do so early because of, and this kind of goes, relates to a question in that test, 
because of the power, the time value of money, of and which another interest. way of putting that is, is, is compounding returns. So you, know, right. you want to save, save early, invest that, allow compounding returns to boost your returns uh, multiple fold over, over multiple decades. Do you want to know the question that people had the most difficulty with in the United States? The compounding returns? No, the question about interest, um, which is less to pay back 105 or 100 plus 3%. No kidding. That's the question people had the most trouble with, which is crazy if you consider how much, uh, for example, student debt there is out there or how much credit card debt is. 60% of adults in America have a credit card, and they yeah. don't understand how interest works, which is crazy. If you're not paying off your balance every month, then, I mean, you're pretty much giving money away. Yeah, and those interest rates are in the 20%. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean, if you don't know how interest works, yeah, I mean, that, that would be certainly an important thing that you'd want to get up to and it, and some of you take you five minutes to get up to speed on how it worked, but it, it's certainly an important thing to know. So, of the people who have a credit card in the United States, only fifty-seven percent of the people who answered that survey question answered it correctly, which is crazy. There you go. <laughs> so, anyway, I think that's pretty much it. Do you have anything else you want to say? No, I think that I think that you I think that you 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 kind of wrapped it up really really well. I mean, you have people Thank carrying you. these huge balances on their credit cards. They don't know how interest works. I mean, it it. It really does fit nicely how that works. Yeah. So financial literacy, kids, it's important. Stay in school. If only schools taught financial literacy, that would make it even better. Um, thank you guys very much for joining us this week. As usual, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Um, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want to quiz us on our financial literacy with your own made-up question, please uh, email us at industryfocus@fool.com. Um, everyone have a great week, and we'll, we'll see you all next week. Bye.